For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to the Jay Bird Watching Podcast, the official podcast of jaysjournal.com and fansided.com, where we discuss all things Toronto Blue Jays baseball. We'll talk about news, rumors, and game recaps. So whether you're a diehard fan or just getting started with the team, this is the podcast for you. Here's your host, Craig Borden, with co-hosts Jason Lyons and me, Ken Alfred. You're listening to the Jay Bird Watching Podcast. Wow. And here we are, Ken. <laughs> We're- wow. Look at that. New toys working. Wonderful. We're live in Blue Jays land. We can actually see the chat board. There's people not listening, yet, but we're going to be ready soon. <laughs> I love that we actually have that actual level that we can actually do that now, Ken, where we can actually see what is going on. The Blue Jays fans get to see us and interact with us. Last week, we thankfully had a few people that were uh, involved in the conversation. That was quite fun. Ken, was what do you think? Absolutely. It was, it was a blast, actually. I almost wanted to be the moderator, the facilitator to do it since while you and Jason were just kind of going off, and I'll be like, hey, guys, I'll just raise my hand. Looks like there's a question here from, from you know, John Smith from Albuquerque wants to know. And then <laughs> we'll, just, we'll just do that. So, yes, welcome, everybody. And I think, obviously, you're noticing last couple of weeks was technical issues on my on my part. We had technical issues reason, all over the place the last uh, two weeks. With last two toys. weeks. But you know what? And I guess you can tell we're missing somebody. Where did he there go? Is that? Which way did he go? <laughs> Speaking of taking a long term in Albuquerque, Jay- Jason, I hope you're having good luck and fortune in Las Vegas with the team and everything that you're playing with. And I hope the youngsters are having a good time too with their baseball fun that you're having already this off season. But good on you. <laughs> so absolutely. But to that point, Ken, it is off season officially. The World Series is kaput. The new World Series champions are the Houston Astros. And as much as I didn't want to be the guy that wanted to see them win, they did it the right way. And it was honestly really, really cool to watch Don Baylor, the Astros managers, celebrate a World Series win after all these years of being one of the pro- you know, prolific level Hall of Famer managers. I thought that was really cool to see, Ken. What do you think? Yeah, like I was very happy to see it. So- how like so did Dusty Baker? He, this is his first World Series, first first World Series championship. How many times did he make it to the to the World Series, but just couldn't always came number two? I think honestly, he only ever made it like once, one other time. So this is level of you know it, it's about damn time. Yeah. Dusty, Dusty well, Baker is one of the best. Like and to that point, he has some of the best quotes in a you know baseball celebration that I've heard in a long time. It was very fun. <laughs> Um, and he's just one of those guys that deserved it. I know he won a long, long time ago as a player, but he was incredible as a manager. And it was just, how does he 
take it to that next level. It never fully manifested itself. And it was really cool to watch it actually finally happen for him. And it happened in glorious fashion. Absolutely. And so what was it about Dusty Baker? Like, I, I know the name. I didn't really follow him. throughout. So what is it about his coaching style that really has this Hall of Fame praise from like yourself and a lot of other fans? I could go on to being that guy that is a uh, stat nerd, which I'm going to try doing here while I'm talking. <laughs> but but to that point, Ken, he's just one of those, like, he has lived, eat, sleep, drank baseball his whole life. And to finally see him get rewarded for those efforts in what could be his very final years as a manager was very cool to watch because this is the one thing in probably his whole career he had not you know, been able to put that feather in his hat for that kind of idea. So he is now one of the more winning managers in all of baseball history, along with the fact that obviously he now has a managerial World Series ring because he's most famously known for being a manager, not a player, even though he was a pretty damn good player in his days. Really? So it's um, trying to find his actual record as a manager or whatnot here, but it's uh, quite prestigious. Well, yeah, I mean, to think about, like you said, he went through this entire thing. Now, is there any rumors or is there any, has he confirmed if he's going to still continue and be the manager or has he? I believe he was at least contract this coming season. He's not like one more season. Correct. So, but to that point, if he wants to, I have a strange feeling the Astros are going to allow him to come back. They have a young team that loves him. (laughs) And to that point, he's a great guy to be around. And to that, I always compared him. And you hear about great managers and whatnot. He's the Cito Gaston to a lot of other baseball teams. Mm. So that's the kind of level of what you're getting from somebody like Dusty Baker being in your gut dugout. He's the Tommy, the, yeah, the Tommy Lasorda, the early Tony Larusa. Hey. <laughs> I can't say too current right now on Tony Larusa, yeah. but to that point, that's the kind of level of just awe and stuff you got out of having being in the dugout. But just to be this guy, he has managed in 3,884 games. Wow. That's, like I said, that is baseball lifer at the age of 73. And he's got 2,093 wins. Jeez. And yeah. So and so, what, so the players love him so much. So what is it about his style? Like, he doesn't seem like, that's the thing. Like, I don't really know if he's, he's like, is he like the really the hard coach or is he like the buddy coach or is he, just the chill coach or is there some combination of all of it? Because, you know, I'm, I've always like, you think when I think of like the timeless sort of the ones who are consistently going up there back in the day and, you know, belly bumping the umpires getting kicked out. And, you know, and when I saw Schneider go up to defend the Jays for when they had bad calls, you know, it, what was, did he ever, what was his style like that? Was he just the, the player's coach kind of thing? I always saw him as the, and then I think honestly, you made him made a, a six degrees from Kevin Bacon kind of level of fun here with the fact that um, John Schneider honestly strikes me as a very Dusty Baker-esque manager. He is the guy that that player needs. It's not one manager style fits all. You know, Mm -hmm. it's, if you need me to be the guy that rides, you know, make you do your work at the end of the day, he's going to ride you. If he's the guy that needs to be your buddy, he can be your buddy. I've seen him with Jeremy Pena, who ended up being the MVP for the World Series and I believe the postseason in general for the Astros. They're young shortstop that basically got Carlos Correa drived out of town for to free agency last <laughs> offseason because this is how good he was. Um, 
I never seen him raise his voice to him. And he's a young, talented player that we're all mm-hmm. finally seeing, you know, bud through our eyes and whatnot. Um, but he just looked like he was that guy that built up his confidence. But I have also seen the flip of that, where he has bumped with an umpire, gone after this guy and called him out for not running it down to first base. I think there's a piece to his uh, manager style that just allows him to be fluid in moving and to be able to get to what he knows eventually at the end of the day is the best drive for that player. Oh, wow. That makes sense. That that makes sense. Yeah. And the funny thing about this, although you were just talking about how you're, you weren't super happy that the Astros win, but you're happy that Dusty Baker. It reminds me of when I took my wife to her, to, I guess her first Raptor game. This happened maybe, I don't know, 2000 and something. I don't know. But uh, her favorite player at the time was LeBron James. And, and Cleveland was visiting. We're playing the Raptors. And she came to me. She, we, we got to the seats. And she's like, is there any way that LeBron and the Raptors can win at the same time for today? I'm like, I don't think so. Unless we sign LeBron for one game. Yeah. But, which, will uh, never <laughs> which will never happen. <laughs> I don't think we want him at this point. But it's interesting to see, like, you know, yeah, you were hoping for. I think we all said we, we all wanted the Phillies to kind of win because they're like the underdogs. Like Houston on paper was the team that was going to win, and paper wise they did win, right? Especially with that no hitter that uh, was that happened in game what is it, four, yeah, or three? I can't remember. Yeah, and then uh, you know after I'll run that fr- frenzy that happened in game two is yeah, like it was just all this World Series had everything. <laughs> this is it one did. of the weirder series as I've uh, watched in a long time. Yeah. It's not usually this back and forth. Yeah, but I think that's what we want as fans, right? I think we don't want. Oh, a total sweep. Like I remember back in, was it 89 or something when, when the Oakland A's swept the Giants in like God. four games or something like that. That's something like that. And I was like, well, that's not or to put it or to put it in recent baseball lore fans, you know, the year the Red Sox finally won the world series. They, the, they did everything they needed to in a game seven against the Yankees in the championship series. And then the St. Louis Cardinals couldn't fucking stop. It was just, by the time they got to the World Series, the Cardinals Cardinals were just steamrolled so bad that it didn't make a difference. And that it's not a fun World Series. But then again, you could argue that that was one of the best championship series in all of baseball history mm. between the Yankees and the Red Sox that year. So you got your competition the round before, and then they were able to coast to a their first World Series win since Babe Ruth. Yes. So, but no, the funny thing is, you remember back, I think, a few episodes ago where, you know, when they just, uh, when when Houston was playing Seattle, and mm-hmm. I was saying, oh, Alvarez is, is the guy, he's going to be, he's going to, like, he was, all, so he was hitting the ball so well against the Mariners, and then he sat, was relatively quiet after that. I think he, he took he, a he, dip. He took a, bit, he took a bit of a dip. And then, of course, like, last game of the World Series, game six, hitting that home run, just really just solidifying the win for the Astros. And I was like, See, that was my original pick, right? <laughs> Even though he's still bad, I think, what, 192 or something for the entire But he picked years? the perfect time to swing hard yes. in case he missed it. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> and he definitely didn't miss it. 450 feet. It was one of the longest home runs in World Series history. And wow. the, the, the list was quite impressive that he beat out for that, too. So it wasn't <laughs> little tiny home runs, you know. It was, no, no. It was that's really... a big blast to center field that put a real, you know, stamp of approval on that win for him and to that point the Phillies were all in on that point at that at that point of the game and I think that between that home run and the fans is reacting really took the wind out of the Phillies sails and they're like yeah. oh yep we really had to hurry up and 
the hurrying up never happened. Yeah. So what was it about Philadelphia that they just couldn't pull it off? Because obviously we were going back and forth, back and forth. Now, what do you think that no hitter kind of screwed them over for that particular, like killed the momentum of them? Or do you think there was uh, another moment or I don't know what, what kind of caused their downfall? No hitter definitely didn't help them, Ken. But yeah. as far as it goes, I still felt like they came back that next game and actually put up a fight. You yeah. know, it wasn't just a taking the wind out of their sails and retreating back to Philadelphia. But it was definitely a big shot in the arm that they had to, you know, I think they got to that point where they were pressing, mm-hmm. where before they were just riding the hurricane, you know, trying to make something happen versus just letting the game come to you kind of level is what I saw, especially in game six. Yeah, I mean, they were hitting the ball so hard, uh, the Phillies, man. Like, my Harper was on, was unbelievable, and Schorber, and sorry, it was a Hoskins, I believe the other oh, one was. Hoskins was on fire, too, and then JP Relamuto being one of those. Yeah, Relamuto as well. Yep. And I remember looking and just looking, look, I'm like, holy crap. Almost all of them had, like, six home runs in the entire playoffs. Exactly. So, and then and, Kyle Schorber squeezing in a stolen base. <laughs> His but, little legs are moving, man. Yeah, and, you know, I just, it just... They were just overmatched at the end of the day. I mean, that's the way it was. Like, but could it have gone either way? I think so, based on how they were playing and how the momentum was. It's like you got two really good teams. I think everyone might have expected Houston. I don't think anyone really expected Philadelphia. Who was the was it the Dodgers that people were expecting to show up uh to represent the National League? Yes. And to that point, I don't think if you were if you were a betting person and were betting that the Phillies were going to be in the World Series, you better be like that mattress Dan that made a bajillion dollars. <laughs> On uh, betting, God, I think he said they what seventy five million dollars that he was won or something like that by making oh a God. ten ten thousand dollar bet or something like that. I can't remember. It was uh, Jason was talking about it last episode, and yeah. to that point, he he did everything that he said was going to happen, and I think he actually predicted the game. He was going to win so much. You know, Astros won, but I think yeah. he also the game that it was going to happen in. You know? So it, it paid out like crazy and he's donating half of that to charity or something like that. And it, he's been a very big proprietor of uh, uh, building up the city of Houston. So yeah, it was bet. a really cool story that he gets to be a piece of that along with a very fun world series that we all got to be entertained by. Was there anyone you su- were surprised that didn't perform at, as much as you expected them to? I was a little shocked that Gene Segura of the Philadelphia Phillies, he's been a weird catalyst for them all year, especially in that dip where Harper left. Mind you, they, the Philadelphia Phillies were the other team in baseball that had the same Blue Jays situation, that they fired their manager, Joe Girardi, who is going to be a Hall of Fame manager probably at some point in the near future here, for the guy that was the bench coach, just like we did. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Snyder was a bench coach. Yes, that's true. Exactly. So that's the same thing that happened with the Philadelphia Phillies, and it ran them all the way to the World Series. So to all you Blue Jays fans that are getting on the fact that, you know, maybe we shouldn't be paying out to Snyder to let him be here for so long. That's the reason why. And literally it's happened even in Blue Jays history, too. So yeah. that's the whole Cito Gaston story. For you young Blue Jays fans that are looking for something really cool. I know being a Blue Jays fan, you're aware of the 92 and 93 World Series at this point because that's our history. Mm-hmm. The How we got to that World Series and those wins is one of the craziest stories in baseball history as far as we fired a really good manager. Cito Gaston takes over. They get 
it's close. <laughs> in nineteen really ninety one. And they were looking for that next piece. And then Patrick Gillick being the awesome general manager and Hall of Fame general manager that we're talking about here leads the Blue Jays into that offseason at 1991 and, and buys the store. Gets Dave yeah. Winfield, gets all the pieces he needs. Jack Morris, who was one of the best pitchers in the game, especially one of the best big game pitchers. Yeah, well, so, he just helped. Didn't he help the Twins win the pre the 91 World Series against the Braves? Yeah. And he pitched an 11 inning game in one of Who those World that? Series games. Jack Morris. That's a. <laughs> oh, my You're... goodness. So, and Jack Morris was the basically the last guy to beat the Atlanta Braves that season before. And he ended up facing him in the World Series again and having not as good as the oh, year I was, before, I was say, but yeah, he like... ended up being very salvageable. And I think he gave up in his two starts, two or three earned runs, which keeps you in the ballgame. Yeah. That's the thing, right? So, Oh man, those are those are interesting times. I have to admit, there, uh, Craig. Well, yeah. You know, some, I think there's sometimes I actually go to like on YouTube, especially if it's like a really early in the weekend or something like that, where the kids are still sleeping. Sometimes I might even play that '92 series, not not the whole World Series, but like that. I guess the, the highlight video, video. The, or the video, yeah, where it's like an hour long, and it's, it's is that the one with David Hasselhoff singing at the end of it. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised, but I don't know. This I just is I, the moment. <laughs> I don't know which one it is. I just can't remember right now off the top of my head, but I would actually watch the the 92, you know, league in review for the Toronto J Blue Jays when they came from it. So they talk about the early of the season. Same with even the 93. Just, uh, you know, think about it. Wow, those are exciting times, I have to admit. And that's why, you know, being on the show now just helps me relive some of those memories, but also just to really feed off the energy of like yourself. And well, if Jason was here, Jason was here. But <laughs> also... <laughs> yep, so that's Jason. Um, just to really get get the enthusiasm back, because I remember those those times has very fun moments, and I remember in elementary school where we're all like, when the Jays won, they're like, okay, we're, they're they're playing the Blue Jays song on the on the PA system, and everyone was in the the Go Jays Go kind of thing. So it's there nice to see it. I mean, it just makes it more exciting uh, for this upcoming season to see how it's going to go. But uh, yeah, but it's like I mean, you're trying the... to earn segue points here. <laughs> Sorry, it's like you're trying to earn segue points. Oh, okay. Let's segue. We're we working to next. So, segue. We're going back to the Blue Jays and how we're trying to build up that team to be a championship team. Oh, okay. <laughs> so that first, going over that. That's yeah, going through my want, head. You, if you want to finish your thought, go right ahead. Oh, that's uh, that's good. I didn't mean to cut you off. Absolutely. <laughs> so, All right. But to that point, let's uh, let's talk first things first. It's award season, and mm -hmm. we've already seen that Vlad Jr. won the uh, Gold Glove Award at first base. It's the first Blue Jay to do so. The Rawlings Gold Glove, just like last episode. Rawlings, <laughs> just to keep everybody informed and in the in the loop here. Okay. The uh, the Cy Young Award, which isn't affiliated with anything, so just to clarify that the Cy Young Award is named after the famous pitcher Cy Young, mm. who was one of the best pitchers in Major League Baseball history. If you're looking for it, there's a reason they named the award after him. This guy has some of the craziest stats and pitch for ever in the early you know 30s and 40s and whatnot. So. Anyways, the award's named after him, and the Blue Jays have a finalist for the American League Cy Young Award in Alec Manoa. Mm -hmm. He catches, he's got some stiff competition, Ken. <laughs> yeah, I was looking at it, I was like, oh boy. You got so, Verlander, and you got, what is it, uh, Dylan, how do you pronounce that, Cease? Cease. Cease. Like, but to that point, as good of a season that Dylan Cease had, he's the clear number three. <laughs> so... And I'm not just saying that as a Blue Jays fan. And oh, no, I, mean, I, I, I am, though. Because I voted today. 
um but it wasn't for that being an american is elected here yep. so midterms right yep so to the point um as they votes get cast by the baseball writers association of america <laughs> or there's a winning award alec manoa's put a hell of a season of work together but it is hard to say that he is going to beat Justin Verlander, who had one probably the best pitching seasons in recent baseball history. And to that fact, doing it at the age of like 42. Yeah. So he's actually 39, I think. He's 39. 39 right now. Okay. And his uh, contract, I think, was to, you know, possibly going to, that's what it was. If he resigns the contract, he is probably going to get this offseason. He will be 42 at the end of the tenure of that. That's what it was. Yeah. I mean, Alec, Alec does have a lot of competition with it. I mean, I guess, I don't know. Like with Verlander, though, I think he has like a three. He's already won three of these uh, Cy Young Awards already. Is that correct? That sounds correct. Is that He won one definitely for sure with the Tigers. Yeah. And I want to say he won another one with the Astros. So this would be his second one with the Astros. Okay, so yeah, it's it's tough competition. And you said the writers fit, pick pick the winner. Who did, and how many writers are there? Oh God, there's five hundred, six hundred. I was writers that vote into this, and it's a percentage based. So okay. as it gets all delineated out, they get so many votes, and they vote for first, second, third. Okay, but that's how it was until this year. This year, now that they have three finalists, I'm not as sure if they just it gets to this final vote stage, and then they just vote flat out who popular vote i don't know that piece to it but i would think that's kind of where you're at now but yeah. in this old situation there's a chance that manoa would have gotten some votes he might not have won but let's say he sneaks with 15 percent of first place votes because somebody thought that you know what verlander's gonna win it anyway i'm gonna make sure that alec manoa gets his <laughs> so, and i and to that point Deserved wholeheartedly. He had one of the best sophomore seasons in baseball history, probably in this season. Um, and to that point, Ken, it was very fun to watch, wasn't it? It was. It was. I mean, like the fact that he went four zero in September with like a zero point eight eight ERA. What the hell, man? That's that's unbelievable. <laughs> it's, it's just a little good, right? But uh, that's the thing, right? How they're going to vote is going to be. How come, like? Is it now no awards get based on stats anymore? Like, you know, I thought there were some awards that were based on, like, you know, wholehearted stats are like the Silver Slugger Award. Yeah, I was going to say, like, the Slugger. Um, they do, obviously, they crown the batting champion, those kind of things. The home run leader, obviously, this year was he'll get a trophy for being the American League home run winner at the end of award winner period because he yep. hit 62 home runs. So, so it'll be a record breaking trophy. <laughs> Um, but to that point, that's kind of how that whole thing is based off of, but you know, at the end of the day, Alec Manoa had a 16 and seven record. Yeah. Two, four, a 2.24 ERA. Yeah. That is the, sadly the third best in the American. (laughs) (laughs) And this is a season of baseball pitching prowess. And Mm. there wasn't really any other way of saying that, but. A year removed from Tommy John's surgery, Justin Verlander should be trying to be the comeback player of the year award, not the young award winner. Um, and to that point, he had a 1.75 ERA and led his team to you know World Series gold. So there's a lot playing in his favor there. I think the MVP award and the Cy Young award to what you were talking about, Ken, 
those two awards factor in performance to an X amount of it too. So if it was mm-hmm. all stats, those writers that are voting for those pieces to those votes, that 75% of that's probably the stats. That little bit of 25% is how did the team do because of him? Right. So yeah, he's got stiff competition. And like you said, like third best ERA, but uh, still had a really good record overall. He had more wins than, uh, than, than Cease, I guess. But is, is there? I think Cease had 14. I think we had Alec having about 16, which is really, really good. Uh, and like you said, it looks like it's Verlanders to win or lose or whatever you want to call it. But of <laughs> course, us being Jays fans, we're, we're always going to be uh, cheering for Alec Manoa because I guess it's that whole thing like, Verlander's won already, so I always feel like ah, spread the spread the spread the wealth from that perspective, you know, give it to give it to some other people who are there because you already won it three times and stuff yeah. like that, right? Uh, give Alec one. <laughs> to that point, and, I have a strange feeling seeing Manoa is only the age of twenty four. He's going to have a good chance to be winning this award at some point, and maybe in the near future. And he came that close. That <laughs> close. But the difference in this whole thing is if you really wanted to look at it on paper, Justin Verlander just edges them out in most categories. If you were doing the money ball concept and boiling this down to the one number of the war or the wins above replacement number, they both are equivalent to 5.9. So as far as the actual, like I said, that is quote unquote the metric for gauging a player, right? as far as collectively a whole to wash pitcher catcher any of that kind of thing down to one number (laughs) that's your comparable right um so then you look at the granularity in the stats alec manoa was right there in most of these categories but justin verlander had a couple more wins his era was just a skosh smaller and at the end of the day he had just a few more strikeouts but at that point, uh, Verlander missed two starts and Manoa didn't miss any. Mm-hmm. So that's where you get this. It could go the other way, but I wouldn't. If I were a betting man, as much as I want to see Alec Manoa win this award, I'd be hard pressed to say it's got to. Yeah, he's more like the sentimental favorite for, for something like this, right? Because they're kind of expecting to go Verlander's way, right? Because, uh, you know, he had, especially his first World Series uh, win, actually, right? Because he was like, what, 0 for 6, over 7 before he got his win in the World yeah. Series? Yeah, he's been in the World Series a lot, but I don't think he has the best postseason record, to, to be no. your point. Well, that's what I was saying, too, right? Because I think he lost the, did he, didn't he lose uh, one of the games, was game one or game two uh, in the World Series? Where, like, I remember them saying, oh, we're Justin Relance going for his first win, and then it just didn't happen. So. He hadn't won a game in the world or in the playoffs since 2019. Oh. And they've been in the playoffs a lot. Yeah. <laughs> as as Astros fan. So to that point, he won, uh, yeah, it was about three, four starts that he hadn't gotten a postseason victory. And that's a lot of opportunities. You know, that's most, most guys don't make it to the play postseason that much. He was able to get there. <laughs> so take it as you want. But to that point, Justin Verlander is a sure thing. First ballot hall of famer at this point, even before this, what could be another Cy Young award. But to that point, yeah. I digress. There is, there is room for that because you can make the argument that, you know what, Verlander was awesome, but the Astros were probably going to make it there anyway. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. The Blue Jays look pretty damn bad 
<laughs> Alec Bowen and Owen. That's so that benefit of what he meant to his team, that little bit of leeway there that I was saying really could be a wild card in this voting for the for the uh all the uh writers association to be able to make that call but like i said if i wouldn't be betting again a bidding on betting on the fact that alec Manoa would make that award knowing that he's right there in the name with justin verlander <laughs> and he's, he's in the running season. <laughs> i can it's wild yeah all signs season. point all signs that he's going to be you know he has a lot of a lot of room to grow and I don't know if that's what some writers might look at it. They say, well, well, he's still really young, so maybe let's not give it to him. Like, maybe I'm going to vote for him this year. Well, just you know, He has time to do it. I'm like, uh, maybe. But uh, like I said, he's fingers crossed. He's, he's got know. time. But fingers crossed, though, right? Because I know for the life of an athlete, especially a professional athlete, and their peak is really small, right? So if he wants to make the money, he wants to get all the, wants to make, you know really progress the Jays forward and really land that ring of, any, of some kind, then you know, you want to make sure you're you're performing consistently, which is going to be tough. Because how many of those players have you seen? They had an awesome season, and they get like a fat contract because they had, they performed so well the previous season, and they become duds the rest of the rest of the year. That we got to be like, okay, we got to trade them. Yeah, I have a strange feeling his work that work ethic keeps him on the right side of that argument. Yes, he's he's one of those guys that just puts in all the work. He's a bulldog. He's ferocious out on the mound. Those are the kind of guys that have Mark Burley-like careers that last forever. <laughs> and they just find ways to win. So you brought up a kind of a crazy idea that I had in my uh, mm-hmm. in the midst of this conversation here because I was curious where he falls in the single season rankings for Blue Jays, hmm. period. Okay. Because I can't remember somebody being this dominant in Blue Jays history to the point of, don't get me wrong. I am one of the biggest Roy Halladay fans that you're ever going to meet. And he was incredible. This feels like that to me all over again with Alec Manoa. And I'm curious as far as, like I said, Blue Jays fandom and all that things are concerned. Uh, I'm curious if I put war for pitchers for single seasons and it actually claims up. Thank you. Baseball reference.com. <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually kind of shocked that he is not on this list hmm. and he's just on the outside of looking in, but you want me to name the names that are on this list because it's slightly nuts. Go ahead. So we did. We just mentioned that he had a 5.9 war for this season. So that is a incredible war number or a wins above replacement number for a pitcher pitchers usually are on average twos twos threes so you're talking elite level crazy wow for somebody like that and i would say the best pitchers in baseball are you know fours usually fives he was 5.9 5.9 Jesus so Christ. we're going to start at the crazy level here of uh, the low end, which is okay. Dave Steve in 1983 with a seven. <laughs> <laughs> seven. And seven. And then Roy Halladay in, in, in 2002, which he just missed getting the Cy Young Award in that year. Uh-huh. Um, I believe he was the runner up to Mike Mussina, maybe. Can't remember. <laughs> I had to look it up. And then another Blue Jay that people tend to forget about in the late 80s in the pre-World Series star 
Mark Eichhorn, who was one of the I remember Mark Eichhorn. craziest left-handed throwers in baseball. Yeah. Comes down to like an angle of his left hand, like down in here and throwing about, you know, 95. Good luck in it. He's <laughs> <laughs> so, like a sidearm pitcher almost. Yeah, eh? Correct. The two of them had a 7.3. Going further, Jimmy Key in 87, who oh, should yeah. have won the world, or should have won the damn Cy Young Award that year. It's kind of insulting he didn't get enough votes. It's one of those things attributed up to the fact that he played in Toronto. If he was in another market, he might have won it. So oh. 7.4. And then we're going to just have cons- enough, two more seasons from Dave Steve because he was that good. Yeah. I remember Steve. <laughs> Do you have a, was it a no hitter or a perfect game? It was a no hitter for him. No-hitter. And it was a, still the only no hitter in Blue Jays history. Wow. So I was at the one of the almost other ones and it was Dustin McGowan. Was sitting the 500 level, mm. way up right oh, next wow. to the scoreboard on a hot Saturday afternoon. <laughs> and I'm drinking beer with one of my buddies that was a Rockies fan. And we drove up from Rochester and went and saw the game. And Dustin McGowan threw a no hitter through eight and two thirds. Oh my God. <laughs> that close. So to just top this list off, Tied for third place is Roy Halliday and Roger Clemens. It had one of his two Cy Yachty Award years, 8.1. Mm. And then Pat Hankin in 1996. I remember Hankin. Won a Cy Young Award and had one of the best pitching seasons. And then Roger Clemens in his just infinite ridiculousness and steal. And this is the year he actually had the Pitching Triple Crown Award, which is ERA title, strikeout title, and led the league in wins. Yeah. <laughs> those three things and we 11. still didn't win nine. <laughs> and we still didn't win it we had him and pat hankin in that in that starting rotation couldn't hit our way out of the round paper bag but we sure shot shit could pitch that, <laughs> that that's what i'm kind of wondering now like i know fans love the home runs right and, and nothing to some fans might be boring is a you know a one to nothing game or a three to nothing game or something where there's a very the offense is like quiet right but just to show you that the pitching has gotten really really good right and uh the fact that they're and nowadays, because I always thought, oh, of a ERA of like you know less than two was supposed to be like that's when you're elite. But nowadays, yeah. I heard it's like almost like two point two, two point five, almost. You're considered really good. And that's like I remember the days where three point five was completely acceptable. Yeah, <laughs> growing up in the stereo area watching baseball, the Brady Andersons of the world just mashing home runs with Mark McGuire constantly. was a normal, like you're a normal everyday average pitcher at throwing a 3.5 ERA. Now we're taking the step back almost to the point where Bob Gibson in baseball history, if you're a historian like I am, Bob Gibson's single-handedly the reason that they moved the mound back and made it taller or shorter. I mean, (laughs) so he wouldn't strike out as many people. (laughs) He's too good. He was too too good. They had to change the game. Literally. So it's point baseball's at that same crossroads. The pitching prowess is out outweighing the athleticism at the plate. So how do you take that next step to balance things back out? We already know for a fact that baseball's been toying with the actual baseballs themselves over the last few years with what the cores made up. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, 
you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply out of how it's wrapped, but the outside is still eerily similar. Are um, they trying to make the balls heavier or lighter just to try to... They were trying to control... Everybody gets the same competitive advantage, but they were trying to control the amount of home runs and things to being a normal level instead of too one-sided or not. Right. So they, they, I think they figured that piece out because nope, I didn't hear as many pitchers whining about the... Uh, what's it called? The, uh, the blister issues this year. And that's what, while they were doing all that experimenting and not really telling the players about that kind of stuff, it was starting to, that was Aaron Sanchez's big MO for those few years where he sucked because he just couldn't keep on the field because he always had giant blisters. Wow. Um, so that was what, part of the what led to his downfall. I'll say there's obviously other things going on. See, he's playing in the minor leagues right now. As much as I'd love to see him back in a major league uniform doing something somewhere. Um, this year, and I don't know if you're aware of this, so I'm going to bring this up to Jay's Nation here to let you know. The ship is dead. No more shifting. No more shifting. No more shifting. <laughs> <laughs> so you're opening the field back up for the hitters. So the re part of the reason the pitchers were looking so good was the fact that, oh, <laughs> Joey Gallo does nothing but pull the ball to right field. <laughs> Let's just put everybody over there. We're gonna yeah, I, that's what I was noticing too. So I'm like, I've never, I wasn't used to seeing that actually when I was watching some games. I'm like, so, sorry, th was that implemented just this year? The shifting rule? This coming season. It's coming that was season. part of the collective bargaining agreement with Major League Baseball and the players. They want to generate more offense. So players are going to be more anchored to what they will call the traditional position. So the shortstop's only allowed to move this much. The second baseman's only allowed to move this much. Outfielders can't go all the way over. You One can't, or the other, yeah. And they, they haven't drawn these lines yet, but they had it in principle. And the players all agreed with it, along with Major League Baseball, because it helps the hitter. Mm -hmm. If you can, if you, if you have a guy that's a natural pull hitter, yep. let's say, and it honestly, this is the reason I would honestly like see if Justin Smoke wants to take a year back in baseball somewhere on a minor league contract, because he is a pull hitter. Those shifts killed people like Justin Smoke. And that's why he was playing in Korea the last year. <laughs> so if you all of a sudden have that guy that's able to hit to his strengths and not have that side of the field jam-packed with players, to field the ball, it's going to create more hits, which creates more base runners, which creates more runs. Interesting. Yeah, it's interesting to see. Because when I saw people starting to shift, I was like, that's new. I'm like, are they allowed to go that far out? But apparently they are. So <laughs> it, it kept it, getting more and more ridiculous over the last five, six years. Joe, yeah, uh, yeah Joe Madden of the at the time, Tampa Bay Rays really popularized it. And then all the teams started doing it, especially when we inherited one of the, you know, in Charlie Montoyo, 
one of the Rays guys that really helped run. <laughs> so um, he was teaching minor league players how to do that because he was a manager under Joe Madden in the minors. So interesting. It's amazing how this, and then not to mention that's become the new crop of good managers. Uh, I uh, Chicago White Sox just hired the manager that they have from the system of the Tampa Bay Rays too. Mm-hmm. That how to work with small ball, and then you know if we be able to throw a brick of money at it and fix the rest of it. <laughs> so let me um, ask you this though, Craig. Yeah. So you talked about like being a pull hitter, and I assume there's a I guess for those who don't, it's a push hitter, right? So I guess at this level though, everyone kind of has a preference. But theoretically though, couldn't any of the the best hitters put the ball wherever they really want, depending on the situation. Like, because obviously, to a really average fan, everyone's trying to hit a home run every single time if they can, right? But the Jose Canseco principle: Jose you, can, yeah. you swing hard in case you hit it. Well, yeah, that's <laughs> what I'm saying, right? But when does it get to the point where you're such a good hitter? Or maybe that's why I thought once you're a professional baseball player and you're hitting it, it's like okay, if I know they have a really strong left fielder and a strong third baseman, a strong shortstop. I'm going to push the ball to the right field. Yeah. I'm just going to push it to the right. Isn't that what, so with this shifting thing, is that something where if I'm a good hitter, I'm like, oh, they know I'm, I pull the ball. Screw that. I'm going to push the ball on the snack. But wouldn't they, wouldn't the player adjust to say, okay, I can see how they're aligning up. I'm just going to hit it the other way. That was the argument by everybody on why we didn't need to worry about anchoring players to positions. The problem is players haven't gotten that smart or it's that hard to do. <laughs> <laughs> so. You you got to think that, yes, they are the best hitters that anybody in baseball can offer that are at the major league level, right? But you don't see as many hitters like Bo Bichette that can hit the opposite field with with power and pop. So the, if they hit it that way, there better not be anybody in the way for some hitters, which is part of what happens, too, because, like, watch Kevin Biggio come up. Everybody on that field goes all the way over to the first base, second base side. And sure enough, he grounds into it. Every once in a while, in a crucial situation, he lays down a bunt and just kind of guides it that direction. Okay. Just get on first base. But you gave me a free base, I'm going to take it. It's kind of how he finally got to that. Yeah. But there's not enough players doing that. So it's either change the game or change the rules or... And to that point, I think a lot of that is the fact that the pitchers are so good and are, have almost a competitive advantage. How many guys in Major League Baseball throw under 90 anymore? It's unheard of. Yeah. So it's that much harder to line up and hit the ball in the opposite field, especially if you were trained to do this. Yeah. <laughs> so I think, Ken, to your point, that they tried to do that and they were hoping that the game would evolve to that over the last more or less decade i guess at this point yeah you know, this slowly getting to and now it's gotten to that point of ridiculous where they're gonna take that step back and get the game back to where it should be probably and create more offense because right now this game is tipping very in favor of pitchers and defense and i think this will also to that point somebody like kevin gosman the shift hurt kevin gosman yeah. this year for that reason you had just mentioned the mat- metrics say the guy's going to hit it here. Okay. What if he doesn't? Oh, that was a two run double. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if you had guys in their traditional spots or in some variant level of shifting within their spot, then there's a little bit more normal 
is the kind of thing. It's the same thing as like when we were going and playing little league and stuff, right? You got, there's always that kid on the other little league team that you knew was the best guy. And everybody's like, oh my God, get deeper. <laughs> you yeah. know, and they walk back to the fences or whatever it might be. But at the major league level, they would be like, oh, he only does pulls. Get over there. <laughs> you know, those are the kind of things that was that next level of that idea that you could be where you needed to feel the ball. And and who makes the call, Craig? Is it literally just the manager that says, once the bat, once the certain batter's up, all right, guys, shift to this, or is it something that the players kind of instinctively know, like you know, based on the coaches ahead of time, saying, "Okay, when player A is going up, okay, yeah, we're all going to shift." Yeah. Is it something like that? It's literally premeditated. Have you okay. seen them when you'll see one of the outfielders, especially like George Springer, one of them will reach into their back pocket and they pull out that card? Yeah, I was always wondering what's in that card. That card is that information of player whoever does this. <laughs> and then you move over. So, when did they allow the card thing? Because I'm, I remember maybe I'm just really that old that I don't remember. Like, it was never was, anything written across it. Honestly, the rules in Major League Baseball call out the fact that there's no technology allowed on the field, which blew my mind that they let them use that pitch count thing this year. Yeah. Because all I'm waiting is for somebody to hack that and take advantage of it. Sorry, electrical nerd by day. <laughs> <laughs> so, but to that point, there's nothing stopping saying that they can't have a piece of paper in their pocket that says do x y and z it just can't be a radio back to some guy in the bench or <laughs> some guy in the stands or anything like that saying hey by the way go over here <laughs> you know that just doesn't happen is it the same so, with the pitchers too like i know they're working with a catcher and stuff like that so they know certain hitters they just do they have, do they have a card too or is that i think the catcher has something catcher on his, like, usually form. has that little up that Pitcher usually doesn't have anything except for now they can have that pitch comp thing in their hat. So, okay. and all that is, is a, they have a little remote with the catcher. That's kind of like a little PlayStation controller joystick kind of like thing. They push it in a direction and it calls the pitch and then they can, it'll call the pitch first and they push it in another direction and it'll tell the location they want that pitch. It's just like a robot voice. Oh, really? Yeah. It's pre-programmed and it has to be pre-programmed and approved before they're allowed to use it on the field. So Any pitch. So the, the catcher's telling the pitcher what to pitch and then telling him location. And then the pitcher can obviously can still either agree or disagree with it, right? Like yeah, and that's when off. you'll see them and then they'll pitch, you know? So interesting. And some pitchers like the thing and some people don't. So um, well, I think the purists probably won't, right? They probably want to, they want the, the relationship between the pitcher and the catcher to be that, that bond that really helps that they know each other so well. Yeah, right. They, they don't like. But I think ideas. that's still there because they're still getting that. You know, they were doing that with holding the one down or the two or whatever it was for the actual sign. But now you don't have to worry about that guy at second base stealing the sign after he's been standing out there for fifteen minutes. Or the wonderful world of video that we live in now, they could sit and watch a week's worth of footage and maybe figure out some of the signs that they're using for Kevin Cos find something that they could use for a competitive advantage because of video being so plentiful these days. Uh, so that's interesting. And then the, the, the trash can thing that we're talking about is that, so that, that was that's like, a whole other level of bad. That was 2017, <laughs> right? That was 2017. Yeah. Yep. And so walk me through, I think I got the gist of what kind of happened. It was something about they were banging trash cans when it was like, what an, an off speed. Basically kind of they thing. knew that fastball was coming. So when they when they banged the trash cans, they knew fastball, or was it the opposite? Like they banged I the trash. I was led can. to believe it being fastball was the turn, but to that point, I don't know. I I wasn't, you know, I read through all that. I was more pissed about it than anything, so I couldn't stand reading a lot of it. <laughs> yeah, 
Um, but they were basically real. They knew what was coming and were able to quickly relay it through loud noise. If you hear this, this is what's coming. And to that point, some players were able to capitalize on it. I still think the best baseball quote in recent history was Mike Trout. After that complete whole thing came up and this, they knew about it and they knew it happened. They had the story of how it happened and all that kind of stuff. They were interviewing Mike Trout about, hey, what do you think about this fiasco going on with the uh, Astros and the Stein stealing stuff? And he goes, so wait, hold on. They knew what was coming. <laughs> Pause. <laughs> they knew it was coming? Yeah. So, and then all the, the radio people are like, yeah, yeah, he knew, they knew what was coming. And he goes, why didn't they play better? <laughs> <laughs> just like a simple response like that is like <laughs> if you knew what was coming all the time you should be able to hit it right it's just it's taking that surprise out of the pitching um, yeah. because half of pitching is trying to mess up and trick the hitter and the yeah. best pitchers in history I, greg maddox is my go-to guy he wasn't a guy that blew you away with his stuff he was smarter than every pitch every hitter that ever walked into that box and he knew how to trick them because he was good at his craft he had yeah. enough stuff but his brain and how he thought to get hitters out was elite and that's why he won back to back to back to back to back next time for years yeah. for the atlanta braves so but there is something to that piece ken that you know it's one of those things that happens if you knew that it's this that and whatever but it's a bit sad from that perspective. I mean, I'm sure size stealing was was around for a while before this whole trash can thing. Not but to I that guess, level. But yeah, it wasn't to that sophistication. I think there was like cameras, I believe, were almost catching it or something to that effect where, you know, back in the old days, like you said, the second base, we could literally just stand there. I did in college. Yeah. <laughs> if I was stuck on second base and you picked something up, we just had some things that you had agreed in the clubhouse. It's like, you know, you see me grab my hat and, you knew this was coming. <laughs> you know, something that was a, the benefit of me having an idea to be able to relay it to the guy hitting. And it's been in the game since the nature of the game. So you took that whole thing away with the pitch count. So yes. that was the nice perk to it. And honestly, it did. I was a little against it at first, and I came around to it by the end of the season. Does it make the game go faster? Yes. Interesting. <laughs> Not by much, but it's still. Alec Manoa, in my opinion, was a perfect example of what goes good when you got that thing going. Him and Kirk knew each other so well, he put those commands in and he just went and then threw. <laughs> you know, there was, was, yeah. There was no hesitation to it. It just happened. <laughs> yeah. I remember the, the back in watching old games before where you'd see the, the pitcher just like shaking their head and shaking their head. And then the catcher has to then stand up and go throw, walk up to the pitcher because. They're trying to figure something out. And I know that's what uh, I remember an episode of The Simpsons was like that, where, you know, I think the episode was Homer was not drinking beer anymore. And uh, I think he had to get off beer for whatever reason. I don't know if he drank too much or whatever, but he was watching baseball and he was listening to the commentators. And he's like, yep, yep. You see, he waved away the pitch. And now the catcher is going to meet with the pitcher. And there's a beach ball going, hitting, flying around it was the just thing. It's like the most monotonous and tedious thing ever. Yeah, and Homer's like, I didn't realize how boring this game could be, actually. <laughs> Where's my beer? Where's my beer? But uh, no, that, that's interesting. To, that's why I feel like I'm getting like, <laughs> there you go. No pun intended. But yeah, now I'm feeling I'm getting like at least 2% smarter talking to you. And, and uh, if Jason was here, I'd probably learn from him as well, right? Because uh, 
interesting now. So we talked about all the technology and all that sort of stuff. So is there anything else happening on in the off season that we need to be thinking about now? So to that point, Ken, I wanted to just quickly touch on in the last few minutes of what is going to be the inevitable as of the 10th. So two days from now, yep. I believe at 3 p.m. Eastern time, the off season or what we call the hot stove season finally kicks off. And that is the inevitable free agent frenzy that starts. Um, the Mets have already re-signed the first player this offseason to a crazy extension, and that was their closer, Edwin Diaz. I would have never paid him that. It was well, was, I, all, I, all I saw was $5 million. What did he get? Or sorry, five years, sorry, five years. I, it was five years, and it was it, he's making just like what Liam Hendricks got last season. I want to say somewhere in the ballpark, 18 a season. Holy crap. Yeah, for a guy that comes out and gets three outs only maybe 30, 40 times in a season. But to that point, Edwin Diaz finally reached his potential last season. This is a guy that was in the Seattle Mariners organization. And Ken, this guy has the most ridiculous stuff, but he could never put it together consistently. Last year, he showed he can finally do that. What have I thrown five-year deal at him on just that one good season? Because every other season was like a roller coaster. It was like watching Jose Barrios. Thinking <laughs> of Jose, yes. Going anywhere. And I think he's yeah. going to come up and have a better season with a real spring training this year. So, But that's a future episode. <laughs> well, that, that's what I'm always wondering. Five-year deals, though, right? I mean, I guess depending on the age and everything, I always, always feel like it's almost better just to sign like a three-year so he's in the right small park of that. I want to yeah. say he's 26, 27. So he'll be in his prime for that kind. But you're also assuming that those ups and downs that I alluded to are gone. <laughs> so that would be the part that scares me more than the actual. Like, if it was Jordan Romano lining up and he was worth that amount for that time, I wouldn't be banned as much of an eye on it because he's given me two, two greatly consistent seasons. Yeah. Diaz hasn't shown me he can do that for two years in a row. So, but to that point, he would have been a free agent. So maybe that was one of those things that if he made it to free agency, he would have been one of the best closers on the free agent market. So the Mets didn't even want to compete with anybody. Brick of money. Yeah. <laughs> Just keep well, it. And when you have Cohen money, I guess you can do whatever the hell you want. You could. I mean, but that, that brings back to the point. I know we talked about this last last episode with stripling mm -hmm. or sorry, chicken strips. Yeah, if, chicken uh, strips. If we're <laughs> actually going to give them a qualifying offer, and I think you guys were talking about nineteen point five for one year, and that was that's what they call a qualifying offer in Major Baseball. Kind of. I didn't get you that point last week. So, what do you think we're actually going to do the qualifying? Or do you think? Uh, I think I they're going to find a way to get them for two. I really two years. And I think they're going to be something mutual and love there both ways that they're going to be able to figure it out. But to that point where the rest of this conversation, Ken, was going, I sent you and Jason a list from sportingnews.com of 89 of the best free agents on the major league market this off season. Oh boy. <laughs> there is a lot of names that we're not going to go into on this list, but there is a lot of depth all the way through that number 89. Yeah. Are guys that could be the that could be the second coming of a Ross Stripling if you for some reason did lose him or didn't want to pay him. Um, obviously, there's the number one on that list, which is 31 year old Aaron Judge and reigning AL home run record 
<laughs> guy that the Yankees have to figure out how to resign or just wave goodbye to. Yeah. I made the prediction at the last season. He's the newest Boston Red Sox. So I'm going to see if I'm going to be right. Really? <laughs> Why did he? So do you just not like being in New York anymore? Or was it just the uh, money? <laughs> yeah. They outbid the, the, the Red Sox outbidded the Yankees. Really? No, it hasn't happened. That was my, okay. that was my yes. your prediction. That was my prediction last spring training when he turned down a crazy deal. I'm like, he's going to get that contract. Just watch. And then he had one of the best offensive seasons in major league history. <laughs> so Jeez. somebody's going to be paying a premium dime for Aaron judge this off season. And I'm seeing the Mets and the Red Sox as the current front runners. I'm like I said, selfishly hoping my prediction from a year ago <laughs> comes through, <laughs> but I, I think those two teams are, what did we miss? The Red Sox didn't put it together, and they need that new face to their ball club going forward. And the Mets literally just laid a duck in the postseason this year, have all this wonderful talent that they need to capitalize on now. Mm -hmm. And he is a guy that you plug into that offense that instantly improves that offense. Interesting. Wow. So, but the other flip side of that is for the uh, Mets, they are probably losing one of the best pitchers in baseball and Jake DeGrom, who is 35 years old and is starting to show injury issues at this point in his career. He says he's seeking a $32 million deal like Max Scherzer, his teammate. Huh. How many I'm years? Not, 32 million. It doesn't, it doesn't say it just says 32 million. <laughs> Give me these this years. And to that okay. point, until this season where he got hurt, it was arguing point that he was probably the best pitcher in Major League Baseball. This year, he just finally started showing some injury issues. Mm. He hasn't had injury issues. So nobody thought saw this coming. Mm -hmm. And like I said, it just finally caught up to him. He's 35. What happens? I'm 38 and feel like I'm dying. <laughs> I'm 42 and I hurts when I wake up in the morning. So, you know. Pitching arm exactly what it is anymore. But that's that point. Um... But there's other guys on this free agent market that might actually legit fits. But there's some creativity that have to go with it. And one of them is a current, a recent World Series champion. And to that point, we talked about kind of in the last couple episodes of how the Blue Jays find that catalyst to take him over the top. What is that catalyst? Who is that catalyst? Maybe it's just a swift kick in the ass. I have no idea. <laughs> so, but one of the guys stuck out to me on this list and it is going to create some like i said some creativity of how they maneuver the infield around but you have a guy like trey turner as a major league free agent shortstop at the age of 29 hmm. there's not too many people that hit free agency at that age it's you know it's just how the contracts and everything work out so he's got three Great years probably left before he starts to decline. And this is a guy that is already in the 100th percentile in speed in Major League Baseball. He's probably the fastest guy in Major League Baseball. Plays a great shortstop. He's played second base, too, in his career. He's also played third base. He hits like crazy. <laughs> you know, there's some good pieces there that if you were able to talk him into being a second baseman, very a la Marcus Semien for a few years ago, this lineup looks infinitely nuts with somebody like 
Springer, him, Vladdy, Bo. Yeah, I was going to say, actually, because then, so you're thinking Trey Turner, potentially. So what would you think we would have to give up to get him? A free agent. Oh, sorry. Was money. I said free agent. Okay. <laughs> I totally was thinking something else we were going to trade for him. Sorry, my mistake. You, so yeah, then, so he, he is currently the second ranked for our second ranked free agent on this list. Are we? Do you think we're in the running? Do we have the money to to get him? To that point, I think the issue would be this season, and then after the season, you are losing Ryu's contract off of the books, so you are going to look better going forward. <laughs> but in the meantime, you're also going to try to find ways to pay Vlad and Bo. Well, yeah, because that, that's where going to get wrinkle is. Yeah, because and, if we and an extension. Yeah, we're going to give them way more. Do we have enough in the tin <laughs> to, to give Trey? Yeah, right. Because what, what's what, what's his uh, what are the experts saying? Hey, he's worth at this point. If if someone was to give him a serious offer, what's the qualifying offer to him? I'd have it, to uh, was, give me two seconds. <laughs> sure, because sure. a stripper, if chicken strips is about oh, what, 19.5? Yeah. I'm like, well, how but much is Trey then? You end up paying a premium for pitching, so that's. Oh, okay. and, and to that point, that's to get him for one season. The rate yeah. usually for somebody that late in their career, if they're that good, does go up for the sh- shortness of the term because they have to. They're, they're, they're at that age of career with Ross Stripley, they're looking for guaranteed money. And the longer the contract, usually the better, right? So, oh, what the hell? Yeah. Big <laughs> turn contract. <laughs> <laughs> So the early prediction, and like I said, he's at his age 29th season, is somewhere in the five to eight year deal. And really? That's, I had to do some that's, math. That's a bit, that's a bit tight, man. Because if you, if you think, if you're saying that he's probably good for maybe another three, yeah. and, they're, and they're saying five to eight years? That's about 30 mil each. Oh my God. But to that point, he's probably one of the best offensive, defensive shortstops in the game right now. So, you take a step back, the next guy down the list is Carlos Correa, who had, in my opinion, a pretty rough year with the Twins. (laughs) And I'm surprised he actually opted out of his current contract the other day, because he has all these weird, even though he just signed with the Twins last season, he had all these crazy loopholes that he could just jump out of that contract pretty much any time he wanted. Who's his agent, man? I know, right? And I think a lot of that is I think a lot that's that's Minnesota having trouble, just like how the Blue Jays have always had trouble trying to recruit free agents to come to Minnesota. It's one of those things that we hear as Blue Jays fans all the time. It's like, oh yeah, well, we interviewed so and so and so, and then he went here because he liked it. <laughs> so, I mean I, it, I it's another thing that works against us, but that's why the Blue Jays are doing so much to work on the the amenities. They have one of the best minor league complexes and spring training complexes in all of baseball where that's place they have in Florida now. They are renovating the ballpark. They are doing all these things that make it more appealing, not just to fans. It's to it's just as selfishly to bring talent to Toronto in all facets to help the team, to help the club, management, all that kind of stuff. So, yeah. Well but, that that's wow. So Turner Korea, hmm. And Correa, and then Correa. there's Xander Bogarts, Bogus, and then yeah. uh, that's the Red Sox. These guys are all in that same, like, just at 30, or, or just yeah. on. They're and, not rookies, but they're they're at, they're at about to hit their peak, and maybe, maybe they're at their peak almost. 
But they could be those guys that are the tipping point like we were talking about. And I think that's where this list goes. And I encourage anybody in, you know, because we're going to talk about this a lot more next week when we get Jason back in the fold here of guys that are potential targets. So I think there is something to be said that we technically as good as Whit Merrifield all of a sudden became there at the last couple of weeks of the season. Yeah. I still think we have a hole at second base. Yeah. If you were able to get one of these guys and get either him or Bo Shat to play second base, which to that point, I don't care which. I think yeah. Bo being the tenured guy in the ballpark currently, he gets to keep his spot at shortstop. But he's made it abundantly clear too. If you were a couple of years ago, I forget who they were going after. I think it was, oh, they were trying to trade for Francisco Lindor mm-hmm. from the, at the time, Cleveland Indians. And he goes, oh, he comes here. I'll move over to second, no problem. <laughs> As you're getting a guy that is insanely good at baseball like he is. <laughs> you know, so he's at least got that cooked into him. But then if you're going to attack that offensive problem, there is a plethora of guys in that Ross Stripling and just a little bit better maybe ballpark on here of pitchers that could really solidify that back end of our rotation in. A guy that came to mind was Carlos Rodon. If you do want to throw a brick of money at Justin Verlander for a season, <laughs> you know. Do you think we'd get him, though? I don't know. He, hey, Justin Verlander's only thrown two no-hitters in his whole Major League Baseball career. Guess where both of them were? Oh, boy. They were really? in Toronto. <laughs> what the hell going else? Um, But so yeah. there's those guys. There's... you could. Try getting like somebody like Nathan Avaldi from the Red Sox, who even in a bad season for the Red Sox, still managed to have a good season for the Red Sox. Clayton Kershaw is a free agent for the first time in his career. Um, Chris Bassett, who is another gentleman that was very good for the Oakland A's. He's guess what? We got a lot of his old teammates on this current team. Maybe he would want to come and pitch a couple seasons after having a really good season with the Mets at the age of 34. Very in that ballpark of Ross Strip. So there's a lot of those guys on the free agent market right now that could spell really good. Or just to be this guy, in 2019, we got Taiwan Walker at the trade deadline. He never pitched a game in Toronto. <laughs> but he was a Toronto Blue Jay. Guess who's a free agent? Who has had two oh, really boy. good seasons with the Mets since. Oh. So there's some good talent there that over the next few weeks here, Ken. We're going to go through these this list and start listing off some guys that would be good talent for the Blue Jays to possibly go yeah, after. I'm kind of curious to hear what you, your guys' take on it, too, and do some homework on mine to see, like, okay, from a casual's pen point of view, here's what I'm noticing. Let me see what you guys say. And those are exactly the fun conversations. And it's been eerily quiet, quiet tonight on the Twitter feed and whatnot here with a chit-chat. So make sure, Blue Jays fans, if you are listening, we're watching. We see your, we see your comments coming through. So. Uh, we're not, and uh, I guess we just didn't advertise enough quickly enough this week. <laughs> but yep. all our new toys can work. I know <laughs> we got the theme working. The theme was working. So, but to that point, I think there's going to be some fun in that. This is why we talk all off season with all Blue Jays fans, and it's not just a one and done. But to the point of what we named this evening's show, the hot stove season's about to kick up, and I think this season, because of what happened last year with the lockout and everything, this is set the boil. This mm-hmm. is going to be a very quick down and dirty is my current prediction for what is going to happen in Blue, in Blue Jays baseball and Major League Baseball for this offseason in general. Because I think a lot of people were ready to spend money last offseason. 
and then the baseball lockout happened. And yeah. they weren't able to turn around and get that. And to that point, it really hurt the Blue Jays. This year, the Blue Jays also, they have enough money to play with still. And we don't have all these COVID restrictions that everybody was having a problem with. I don't want to travel to Toronto. I don't want to get my shots. Man up, go get your needle got stuck in there. <laughs> yeah, make, make that happen. It's the difference between your team winning or losing at the end of the day. Go deal with it. <laughs> exactly. so, um, and those are the kind of things that we don't have to worry about now this offseason. I know. It'd be nice. It's nice to hear. I'm, I'm so, liking it. So all the right things are heading in the right direction for Blue Jays to be able to cap a good offseason. There's plenty of good names. Like I said, this is the longest good free agent list I've seen in the last few years. I will say it gets peppered in once you get packed. You know, number 15 on this list, everybody kind of starts to look the same, but they're not bad ideas. There's not a lot of bad. The worst guys on this list are still getting an equal, equivalent player of a Ramil Tapia, who was very critical to the success for the Toronto Blue Jays this year, Dad. Yeah. Uh, so he was a, he was definitely a spark plug, I have to admit. So outside of that, Blue Jays fans, Thank you very much for listening this evening. Ken, is there anything you would like to add, mention, plug here this evening? No, nothing. I think we just said it was a great one. I was worried it was just going to be the two of us today. I was like, oh, we, we I, I always good, I can always rely on Jason to really, you know, go off on a bunch of fun tangents to go on. And then it's me trying to fight my way to try to sneak something in there. But it's nice to actually have a little bit of time, a little bit of a runway to work with and you know, like you said, I enjoyed this and, and I hope the fans uh, enjoyed this as well. And uh, I'm looking forward to doing more episodes and uh, really getting everything going. So, yep, yeah, no, nothing else from my end. Okay. So good deal, Blue Jays fans. Make sure you tune in every week. Uh, I think we're going to be shooting for the Tuesday, 7 o'clock Eastern time slot. So we can do the same bat time, same bat channel stuff. <laughs> and yep. make sure you join us on the live part of this podcast and join in on the chat. We are going to talk and even display all your wonderful uh, comments and everything as long as you're not some horrible terrible human being or something like that we'll make sure we show up for all of jay's nation to see and chit chat with us and join that conversation and if you miss the live shows each week make sure you get us wherever you get your podcasting pleasures from we're on obviously we're on youtube because of all this fun stuff but we have you know google podcasts apple spotify anywhere you get those podcasting pleasures for in your morning commutes or wherever you have time until then, Ken, typical one, two, three, and a let's go Blue Jays for the Ric Flair. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> one, two, three. Woo! Woo! Let's go Blue Jays. Let's go Blue Jays. Oh, we got the theme. Thank you for listening to the Bird Watching. Oh, Podcast. where's it go? Please follow us. Oh, on it's Facebook, not going. Instagram, Twitter, oh, Twitch, at BirdWatchingGC, and our YouTube channel. If you want to support the show and get extra content, please consider joining to our Patreon at patreon.com slash Bird watching GC. Go, Jays, go. Woo! It's clear. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Coriant has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. 
Coriant has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Coriant's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Coriant.com. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.